I'm sure you've seen the bumper sticker or the meme that says, be the person that you're dog thinks you are. And I've always thought that was funny because my dog has a low bar. As long as it comes with food, I think that he's pretty happy. I, I have always thought that what that should be changed, at least for me, is be the person I am when I'm with my dog. Because when I'm with him, I tend to be more generous, more patient, more outgoing with my neighbors, more fun, more laid back, and uh, I'm looking for a different experience. Welcome to Unleashed. I'm Colleen Pilar, a dog trainer fascinated by people. Dogs bring out the best in us. Your dog thinks you're awesome because you are kind, thoughtful, generous, playful. In each episode of Unleashed, I'll choose one behavior trait that dogs and people share and interview a fascinating person to talk about how that trait appears in dogs and in people. Then we'll explore ways that you can more fully embody the trait so that you can show up at work and at home as the amazing person your dog knows you to be. Are you ready to be unleashed? Hi, welcome to Unleashed. This week, my guest is a true dog lover, as always. It's Amy Morris, who is the president of T3 Design, a traffic engineering for firm in Northern Virginia. And I asked Amy to join us today to talk a little bit about problem solving because, of course, as an engineer, she is an excellent problem solver. So thank you for joining us today, Amy. Oh, I'm thrilled. So problem solving is something that we just sort of take for granted until we meet someone who has no ability to solve problems. And then we go, oh, it's common sense. And yet it isn't something that everyone has. Have you encountered that experience? I have, even with engineers, unfortunately. Um, I think in focus on STEM and trying to get women more involved in science and technology and even engineering classes, one of the things I've seen is how do you explain engineering? What do engineers do? And the most common answer is we're problem solvers. Hmm. Like who doesn't like to solve problems? And that is what engineering is. It's real world. There is some problem. There's some intersection near your house that backs up every single day to the point that it makes your life crazy. So what do you do to fix that? And what I've found is even within the engineering community, uh, when I hire a brand new engineer, that there are some people that are really great at that. Um, and there are plenty of people that are not, even if they have an engineering degree, they may or may not be able to figure out how to figure something out. So it's kind of an odd, um, odd way to put it, I guess, but it seems to me the problem solving is Figuring out what, number one, what the problem is, really defining the problem, mm -hmm. and then figuring out what you would need to know to be able to solve that problem in a real world environment. And as you say, there are some people that are good at it and some people that aren't. And there are some people that aren't very good at it, but still have managed to get through classes enough to get a, an engineering degree. That's an interesting angle to approach it. And of course, it all depends on context. Some people are good at solving this kind of problem and that kind of problem. But you would think that an engineering curriculum would be so based in just here's a problem. Look at it from all the angles. Think about it. And what is the other information you need? So do you think that it's a deficit in the way the education program is approaching it? Or do you think it's that we're missing something earlier, perhaps even in elementary school or, or how we think about situations? 
I would say that uh, I don't want to be too much of a critic of the educational system because that is not my background. It's not my knowledge. However, what I would say is it's a practical problem. If you have somebody in an engineering school, the easiest way to grade papers, the easiest way to see if someone is understanding the material is to give them a problem that actually has a definite answer Mm -hmm. that you then can check and say, yes or no, you got that answer. And that is not how the real world works at all. Uh, To get an engineering degree, you have to be able to do math. Okay, well, that's fine. You have to be able to go through some word problems, but we've already shown you these are the formulas that we want to use. And then to be able to test you, we're going to give you answers and numbers for each of the components to be able to to arrive to an answer. And that is rarely the way the real world works. In fact, I remember when uh, I was in school, I had one professor who was pretty much universally loathed, not because he wasn't a great guy, but because he had been in industry so long when he came into education, he would never give you enough information to be able to answer a problem. Mm -hmm. And the students hated that, myself included. And his response was always, well, as an engineer in the real world, you never have all the information you need to solve a problem. Um, unfortunately, the problem with that approach was that if you're asking a 19, 20-year-old student that has zero experience in a particular field, they're not going to have a very good grasp on how to, to even make an assumption. Right. And if they were in the workforce, they would have someone more senior that would help guide them. So I think that's where his model failed and uh, his resulting class marks went down <laughs> substantially <laughs> because of it. But the, the concept isn't wrong. I mean, the concept is not wrong. It's but, it's dead on. Perhaps an assignment in which he said, I've definitely not given you a piece of information that you need, but it is in chapter four. And, um, you know, f- figure it out from there so that you would at least have the starting point. Oh, chapter four is about, I don't know, I'm making stuff up because I am not an engineer. Um, I'm just going to pick fluid dynamics because that's the thing that popped in my head. So I have this problem and I'm missing some information and I know it's related to fluid dynamics or even as a group project or a a team project where we could bounce ideas off one another. But you're right that so often in life, it's not just a matter of getting our own observations, but really finding the pieces of information that we don't have and we don't necessarily even know that we're missing. Exactly. It seems to me that it's almost more, I'll say intrinsic, but I I don't know enough to, to determine if it really is intrinsic. But it seems like this intrinsic characteristic in people that my company will hire, some of them just seem to be exceptionally good at thinking through problems. Like starting here, I I know nothing and I I can at least lay out a path to get to some result. And then there's this subset of people that are absolutely not at all capable of that kind of thinking. And I wish I could figure out how to do that at the interview stage. Yes. (laughs) To weed out and, and, and hire a whole lot more of the former and a whole lot less of the latter. Yeah, it's, that's an interesting question. And, and that, again, is part of problem solving is saying, okay, now let's start to play with this piece. How would we find that at the interview stage? What is the kind of test or assessment that we could use at that stage of the game? And I have no idea. But it does seem like something like that should exist. Like if we could find it, that would be a very, very helpful tool for you because it's really expensive to bring on a new person. So <laughs> hiring and training a new employee is a huge investment in time and energy and resources for every company. So if you can narrow down and get the right ones at the right time, that's helpful. 
when you say it that way, though, it just made me think. I just uh, I finished recently the book by Tony Shea, Delivering Happiness. Mm-hmm. The, he's the Zappos guy. They used it more for culture. They were trying to find a particular fit within their company, but they first figured out who they wanted or what characteristics that they wanted, and then they tailored specific human resources questions for interviews to be able to um, to bring that out. So that's a really good point. I guess I hadn't taken my own um, HR processes to that enough to then try to do exactly that, design some kind of interview questions that would help determine who are really good problem solvers. Yeah. I I recently read about a company, and I'm forgetting the name of it, but it's an ice cream shop. It might even be Amy's ice cream shop, but maybe I'm just attaching that to your name. But I think maybe it's Amy's ice cream shop, and they don't do job interviews. They um, say, here's a white paper bag, write your name and contact information on it, Come back in a week having done something with this bag. So people come back in a week and some people have a white paper bag with their name and contact information and they're like, you're not good fit for us. And other people have made it into a hand puppet and people have, you know, done all sorts of crazy and creative things. And in this ice cream shop, their big distinguishing feature is that they're entertaining their customers so that you come in and it's kind of fun. It's a fun place. But they give no guidance whatsoever other than name, contact information, and do something with the bag. That's oh. fantastic. Yeah. But maybe something in those concepts of of what are the personality traits and characteristics that you need to find for a great engineer for your team, what could that be? And I have no idea, but... At least now your brain is thinking that direction. <laughs> I like the white paper bag, but I can see that since I have an engineering company that I would send out 30 white paper bags and get 30 paper airplanes back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you would get 30 paper airplanes back. Yes. But the one that was a little bit interesting or different might be your favorite one. So I don't know. If From- nothing else, it would make the whole process more fun for the interviewee, interviewer, I guess. Yes. The interviewee <laughs> might be panicked. Oh, like, ah, there's a right answer and I don't know what it is. We often talk about dogs in this podcast because, of course, dogs are amazing. And I know that you have a dog. Can you tell us a little bit about your dog? I do have a dog. He's some kind of shepherd hound mix. He's about 55 pounds. So he's a pretty decent sized dog. And he is absolutely the a joy, an absolute joy <laughs> for me. He's very, very food motivated. And when I think of him with problem solving, I just think about Everything to him is a problem in which to figure out how to get food. Mm-hmm. That's the solution. <laughs> There's not much more in the end result that he's looking for except some sort of food motivation or some sort of treat or uh, food at the end of that uh, the end of that problem. And is he pretty successful at solving his problem? He is pretty successful <laughs> at solving that problem. Primarily because I'm an easy mark. He's pretty darn cute. But what I will say, and I don't know that he's any smarter of a dog than any other dog, but he's pretty smart. And we've gotten some different toys for him over the years. And it's fascinating to me because typically he will start with the the easiest, uh, least effort first. Mm -hmm. And if blunt force, pure force will do it, then that's his number one go-to. So if he can break into something, that is number one problem solving. <laughs> that's the way he's going to go. And so I've tried to get some other toys um, that, that require a little more thinking. I actually just got an interesting toy where he has to hit lit pads in a certain sequence. Once he hits those pads in a particular sequence, then this device will give him a treat. And it's built such that he really can't destroy it 
to get to the food. It's been really interesting to me to see how he has a attempted and how he's uh, mastered each of these different challenges. I will say that the, the, the makers of this particular device are good in that they start with something very simple because since when has your dog ever had to to press some kind mm-hmm. of pads with his nose to even be able to get a treat. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to me how they have progressed. Uh, I think he's a level seven or something now. Um, and I've had it, I don't know, six months, maybe something like that. So uh, about once a month and he gets something that's a little harder and each challenge is uh, progressively harder even within that month. Currently, he's gotten to the point where the pad will light up, he'll touch that one, and then it will light up two other pads, and he has to pick out whichever one is brightest. But it's interesting because I can hear him with the toy, and sometimes it's slower than he would like. And you can really tell that he gets agitated. So I hadn't really occurred to me that pets would get frustrated or overwhelmed, but it it clearly can be very frustrating for him. Mm -hmm. In the interview I did with Teresa McKeon from Tag Teach, she talked about that with humans, um, that she uses a marker to identify specific moments of behavior. And people are totally fine with this as long as the person observing their behavior has good timing for reinforcing. But if they're slow then the people are frustrated and you know angry and that her own horse if she's late or slow her horse will just walk away from her like <laughs> i'll come back in a bit but you you clearly need to work on your timing here for a minute because frustration is a huge detriment to learning isn't it when we get ourselves frustrated we're not nearly as creative or contemplative about what might be another solution we just get agitated and then often angry <laughs> at least me that is true <laughs> Both dogs and people. Yes. And I, I will say that, that certainly my dog's done the same thing where he will remove himself from that room with the device that so clearly has the food he desires, but he's gotten to a point where he, he gives himself a cool off period, Yeah, which is funny to me. And and you're right. I see that with people, too. If you're If you're frustrated at work, sometimes you just need to go to lunch early or take a walk around the office or this is an excellent time to refill your coffee mug. Mm-hmm. So from the, from the aspect of problem solving, I mean, obviously the benefit is we solve problems, but what is the benefit of looking at situations from the perspective of, is there a problem here to be solved? That's a good question. You're thinking more in the, just life, it's in a work yeah, situation? Yeah, in work situations. Anything? particularly work situations, but just in life. Like, I mean, if we're sort of approaching that from the from the aspect of here's what is, is there anything that could be made better? I think we see this the most in inventors. Necessity is the, me- the mother of invention because somebody wants to do something faster, better, cheaper, uh, more conveniently, um, and so, yeah, I think that that's the I think that's where you're going anyway, is that um, you didn't necessarily know that you need to improve something if it's not within your own experience. Let's go to the moon. And so we now have to have these pressurized pens that can deliver ink, even if they're upside down, even if they're in a no gravity situation. Well, I never realized that that was really a problem. But if you're somebody that has to write upside down a lot or if you have to write on a wall, now all of a sudden this is something that you realize is an issue. Mm -hmm. And so somebody then figures out some way to invent some pen cartridge that can deliver ink. 
um, whatever situation there is. So that's the only thing I can think right off the top of my head. But essentially that, if it's something that, that is within your experience that doesn't work very well or is really cumbersome, then then I think just as people, I think most of us tend to think, all right, how can we do this better easily Yeah, uh, with less effort? Yes. Years ago, I was told that um, efficiency is a sign of a lazy person. They don't want to do extra you know, nothing extra. And it was said to me, uh, because I was being very efficient about something. And I decided <laughs> to take it as a compliment. <laughs> because I was like, why would you do extra? Why would you do extra if, if there's a faster, easier, simpler way? You know, yeah, efficiency <laughs> is a sign of a lazy person or somebody who solves problems one way or the other. <laughs> I think that means you're an excellent human. Pretty much our entire society has gotten to the point where things are as easy and convenient as possible. And um, we continue to, to make improvements in pretty much every single product you can think of. Do exactly that to make to streamline things even further and save us more time. Mm -hmm. And I read in a book somewhere that every time you see duct tape, it's a design flaw. Anytime you see duct tape, it's a person doing some personal engineering and problem solving because <laughs> they've said this didn't work right the first time but I'm going to make it work. And I love that. I like that idea too, because I think that, well, first off, duct tape is another one of those things invented by the Moon Project, isn't it? Like I a, think so. Like a tool yes. that didn't exist that now we're all using in regular life here on Earth. But also the idea of that we're all engineering and problem solving all the time. We just don't all think of it or make it a career. But it, it has useful application to all of us in our daily lives. Absolutely, to all of us. And I don't even know that that means it's poor engineering to, to see duct tape. Uh, that's just maintenance, right? The most basic engineering, I think, is if it if it moves and you don't want it to move, you use duct tape. <laughs> if it won't move and you want it to move, you use a WD-40. Ah. Uh, <laughs> those are the two major engineering solve-alls. <laughs> well... That is um, very true in my house with my husband, the engineer. I would say we see a lot of duct tape and WD-40. With some of the traits that I've talked to people about, I've, I've talked about the challenges of of having this particular trait, being a really good problem solver or, or you know, trying to provide better feedback. I'm trying to think of, like, what would be the challenges of problem solving? And I guess you can come at it from two angles, first being you're just terrible at problem solving or the second being you're so busy solving too many problems that other people don't agree are problems. What do you think? What would be challenges related to problem solving? I think the challenges that we typically see is you get stuck. Once you've solved one problem, then you're so, I don't know whether we're just so filled with the um, the good feeling of actually accomplishing that in a particular way that now we try to apply that all kinds of different places. So again, the old saw, if, if you have a hammer, everything in the world looks like a nail. So if you figured out how to solve one problem, then using that solution to these new problems that you see thinking, well, this will fall into that exact same solution, or at least that same line of thinking. And so I think that, that sometimes you see things that, uh, that you lack innovation that way, or you can 
get into a place as a person, as a company, as a firm, as an industry, you can then start to look in these very limited ways without a lot of innovation. And so then it takes somebody that maybe didn't pass my white paper bag test in the interview that's got something completely crazy and different um, to make us then look at something completely differently than we've become accustomed to because we're used to this one off-the-shelf solution that we like to use. Mm -hmm. And if somebody told you they wanted to be a better problem solver, what advice would you give them? Wow, that's a hard one. I think that in general, I think it just... I wonder how much of that is people's intrinsic um, enjoyment of problems. Like there's some people that will do Sudoku or puzzles every week or the New York Times crossword puzzle or word jumbles or whatever. That is one way that, that people um, enjoy exercising kind of that problem-solving muscle. And there must be other ways to do that, but those are the ones that are, are available in most people's newspapers or um, uh, books in the airport, etc. Anyone that wants to be better at problem-solving has to find some way or some method of looking at things differently, trying different kind of problems. If you do a crossword puzzle all the time and then you're thrown a Sudoku puzzle, Sudoku, whatever it is. <laughs> I know I there's know a right way to say it. I don't right. know what the right way so, is. <laughs> that is a completely different puzzle. My mother is excellent, excellent at word games. She can do the, the little scrambles in no time at all in the newspaper. If you come up with some new game, some new kind of format, I think it challenges your brain in a different way. So if you're really looking to in, improve your problem solving, I think that there must be uh, all kinds of books and all kinds of things even on the internet that would make you stretch your brain in a different way than you're accustomed to mm -hmm. uh, by looking at any kind of different puzzle. Mm -hmm. And that makes me think of, of the advice that everyone who teaches should always take a class in something that they don't do well. Because as a teacher, you tend to say things the same way because you've said it 400 times before and you think it's clear and everyone understands. You take a class where you're the rookie and you don't know what's going on and the teacher says something that sounds helpful in her head but is completely not helpful to you. That gives you the sort of broader perspective of saying, oh, you know, this isn't clear or sometimes the fresh eyes can see things differently and say, well, I can see why you did it that way, but why wouldn't we do it this way? And that aspect of newness, like you're saying, try a different mm -hmm. kind of puzzle, and I'm saying take a different class, does open your eyes to just difference. You know, that difference itself can be very valuable in looking at any sort of problem. What isn't the rut? What is the piece that could be changed? I think that's great advice. I think it's difficult because most of us don't like to be challenged in a way, especially, right. especially publicly. We like looking really smart and really good and take a class for uh, some other format where you are maybe not the best of something because it's brand new is very scary for us. And as adults, if it's something that we can't be the best at or professional enough or at least hold our own the very first time out of the gate, we typically don't even try anymore. So I, I think that that is... I think it's a fantastic idea, and maybe that's that goes hand in hand with allowing yourself to 
to fail, to try something that where you may not be the best at it right off the bat or ever, potentially even ever, uh, but in a way to stretch yourself to get a different experience than you're going to get if it's something that you already know how to do. Right. And I think that you just summed that up so beautifully. And that is my lifelong struggle (laughs) because I have (laughs) always wanted to either do it perfectly or not do it all. (laughs) These are the choices. Absolutely. It's either going to be perfect or it's not going to be at all. And I've done lots and lots of things that haven't been perfect right out of the gate, and I survived. And then they got better over time, and some that I'll never be good at, but I've learned to enjoy anyway. Um, But that diving in part is hard if I think I'm not going to be good at something. Like, oh, I don't want to do it. No, no, no. And I think actually it's worse for most women than most men. I think women are a little bit more prone to that uh, you know, give me the exact instructions and tell me precisely what you need and I can do it. I'll totally do it. But if it's vague, I, I don't know. And I might be wrong and let me hold myself back. But from the problem solving aspect of it, of that whole idea that we can learn and we can grow, but sometimes we have to be willing to let ourselves look foolish or be uncomfortable or mm-hmm. do something repeatedly, even though it's hard. That's hard. <laughs> that's, that's just so hard. It's important and it's valuable and it's hard. <laughs> and there must be some way. I'm thinking back to my dog with this new puzzle that I have for him mm-hmm. where it, it starts at uh, a level where it's something new and difficult for him. But if they don't take him, don't take a dog through all these steps right off the right off the bat. So I wonder if there's some way to to start at a lower level. So you dill that challenge out to right. yourself uh, in smaller, more manageable chunks so that you have more potential to have some initial success, even if you're not going to be a perfect, that at least you can, you can find something that's more measurable and get some value out of it while you learn and move up to a different level. Mm-hmm. We call that going back to the point of success in dog training. And I actually okay. just had an appointment with this morning with a newly adopted six-month-old dog. So he's lived at the breeder's house, and they decided not to breed him, so he's now in a family home. And she told me he knows all sorts of things. He knows his name. He knows sit. He knows down. He knows everything. So we're saying his name. Nothing. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing. I'm like, oh, it's so sad. He's deaf. And she's like, oh, I don't know. I swear he knows his name. He could do it for the breeder and he could do sit for the breeder and he could do this for the and Nothing. So we're starting to reward him for just like noticing humans in the room. Look, you found a person. Look, you found a person. Look, you found a person. And all of a sudden we had this dog who had paid no attention to us to a dog who was rotating between three people. Do you see me? I see you. And that going back to the point where he could be successful was decreasing the frustration for both the dog, but also for the woman who was feeling like, I just adopted this dog and clearly he hates me because when I call his name, I get nothing. I don't know how we're saying his name wrong, but whatever we're saying is not matching in his ears something that he should (laughs) respond to. So that back up make it easier, decrease the stress, and just try to build from there, I guess, is a form of problem solving. But we're going to have to rebuild his name game. There's nothing there. So we're starting from (laughs) ground zero on name game by going back to an area that he was comfortable with because he just couldn't do it. And that probably is what the game does with Brinkley. If he's unsuccessful over and over and over again, it probably resets back a little bit. 
to an easier exactly. level. Because if we do get ourselves really frustrated, we're out. We're done. There are some times when I can tell that he's pawing at it and, and getting very frustrated that I'll just put it up. I'll just put it up for a while. Mm-hmm. And then when I'll plug it back in, then I'll, I'll actually play it with him. So mm-hmm. I won't touch the buttons for him, but I'll help kind of steer his nose to the right place. Um, and I think he likes that, honestly, anyway, because in some odd way, we're doing it together. And that's, that's never a bad thing. Yeah. Social aspects of it. So exactly. if he could describe you, if he could use words, how would Brinkley describe you? This probably sounds a little sarcastic, but major food giver. <laughs> <laughs> Source of all food. <laughs> My husband refers um, to himself sometimes as the benevolent provider of food for the cat. I'm, I'm sure you've seen the bumper sticker or the meme that says, be the person that you're dog thinks you are. And I've always thought that was funny because my dog has a low bar. As long as it comes with food, I think that he's pretty happy. I, I have always thought that what that should be changed, at least for me, is be the person I am when I'm with my dog. Exactly. Because when I'm with him, I tend to be more generous, more patient, more outgoing with my neighbors, uh, uh, more fun, more laid back, and uh, I'm looking for a different experience. Um, so to, to think of it from my dog's point of view, I'm sure that there is more that he likes than, than just the food. Um, we do a lot of fun things together, and so I, I know that he enjoys that. But he is certainly uh, uh, motivated enough by food that I think that that is probably the <laughs> one overarching quality that he thinks of um, with me. And I'm not sure how he would put that into language. Yeah. Well, I like the way you flipped it because that is really the idea behind the Unleashed podcast is that we are honest and giving and playful and generous and trustworthy when we're with our dogs. And when these we're are with all the dog. amazing traits. <laughs> and then we go to work and we're holding ourselves back and thinking snarky thoughts or not having fun. We're not nearly the joyful beings that we can be um, sometimes. Sometimes we're not. So the idea is if we could just be the person you are around your dog, mm. that's it. And and that's what dogs give us. I think it, they give us a real lightening. But we're just like, oh, I feel better. I can lay off all that armor that I carry around. You know, Because your dog doesn't care if you're good at something. They really don't. Does not. They're like, yeah, you have no skills at all. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> I will say, I occasionally take him to, to work about once every other week or something that I'll take him into the work with me. And I think my employees, my staff, are thrilled when he comes in, not only because he's cute, he's fun to have a dog in the office. I mean, it's just something different at the office. But I think the other part is I know that I'm different when he's with me. Mm-hmm. I know that I, I am truly like I said, I'm happier, I'm more easygoing, and who doesn't like your boss to be happier and <laughs> having a good day? I mean, that's <laughs> that doesn't go wrong for anybody in the office. <laughs> no, no, indeed. So tell us a little bit about T3 Design and what you do there, what the business does. So we do traffic, primarily traffic, um, but also transportation engineering. So essentially what that means is we measure traffic, we analyze it, We figure out how we can make traffic flow safer and smoother, and then we design whatever those things are that we think will make it better. So that's kind of in a nutshell what we do as a company. That is all problem solving. (laughs) Every bit of it is is, exactly. It really is from the point of, um, like I said, I, I used early on an intersection example. So if you have a road that gets just backed up every single day, then either need to find out how to get 
to cars on a different road or you need to figure out how to, to get more capacity on that roadway. And so one of the first things we do is lay out that problem. What would we need to know to even be able to analyze that particular problem? And typically that's going to involve data of some sort. So we figure out what kind of data we need. We collect that data and then... Uh, I will say that the problem solving, I guess the one point that I didn't make at any point so far is that so much of problem solving is trial and error. Mm-hmm. And with a dog, trial and error. So in, if he's got some toy that he can press a button and uh, all of a sudden it gets food, well, he can press buttons in all kinds of different ways and get a chance to figure out what will make that device give him food. In the engineering sense, we can't build 16 different roads and decide which one <laughs> works the best. So we have to find some other way of how do we analyze that problem. Uh, and typically, we'll do some kind of modeling software or something that, that will simulate it so that you can do a whole bunch of different kind of trial and error without actually having to build mm-hmm. a very expensive road going through a lot of backyards uh, <laughs> to determine how well it's going to work. Well. Those of us who don't like traffic appreciate that you're out there <laughs> making our intersections and roads safer and easier. So thank you so much for coming on Unleashed today and talking with me about problem solving. I really appreciate this. It was a pleasure. So what do you think? Are you ready to be unleashed? Ready to open up and fully become the amazing person your dog knows you to be? Subscribe to Unleashed. And please visit ColleenPilar.com slash iTunes to leave a review. It helps new listeners find us. And my dog gets an extra treat for each new review. Say thank you, Edzo.